Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. If uh, I haven't ever had a chance to meet you, or maybe you're new, uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Glad to get to share with you this morning. Uh, we're going to jump right in. We are in Acts chapter 16, and so if you want to follow along, we would encourage that. Um, you can do that. If you have a physical Bible with you, great. You can turn there. Uh, if you have a digital one, load it up. Or if you don't have one, there are some Bibles in the information rack in front of you. And so we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10 this morning. And uh, we've been going through the book of Acts for quite a while now as a church with some breaks in there. Uh, and some parts of Acts really just kind of stand on their own. Like uh, there isn't a, a ton of need. It is one big narrative, but there isn't a ton of need to know what directly came before or directly came after. Um, but the passage today is not one of those. I, I think for us to really understand, I think, what it is the Spirit is trying to communicate to us through verses 1 through 10 today, we need a little bit of context uh, so that we know what's going on and how significant it is. So it's a little bit, you know, when you watch TV shows, and it'll be like, previously on, this is what that is real quick, okay? So previously in the book of Acts, here's what's been going on. Paul and Barnabas are like the dynamic duo. They're out there just killing it uh, in ministry, and they are having all kinds of success through the power of the Spirit. Lots of people are coming to know Jesus. Lots of churches are being planted um, and a lot of Gentiles, which means not Jewish by faith or ethnicity, um, a lot of Gentiles are coming to faith in Jesus alongside of a bunch of Jewish people as well. That's all great, but there's some conflicts that arose. And if you've been with us, you know that we've talked through that at length. One of them being that there was a crew of Christian Jewish people who felt like it was really important, in fact, uh, they didn't think you could be a follower of Jesus unless you adhere to all the Jewish customs, which would be like dietary restrictions. They would need to get circumcised and a list of other things. Paul from the get-go is like, no, 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 no. That's not what we're doing here. This is a new covenant that Jesus has given. If you, you as Jewish Christians are living under that old covenant and that's fine, but do not put these hurdles in the way of these new Gentile followers of Jesus. Don't do that to them. And there's a lot of tension, and Paul gets, like, pretty ramped up about it. He really wants people to understand Jesus is enough. A few weeks ago, Travis talked about this, the, the Jesus plus or Jesus minus. You might remember that. If not, go watch it. It was a really good picture. Um, and these Jewish Christians, it was kind of like Jesus plus all of these uh, dietary restrictions and customs uh, that, were, that existed under the old covenant. And so this is a big, big point of contention, so much so that Paul and Barnabas find themselves back in Jerusalem, talking with, at length, the Council of Jerusalem, which would be a number of, like, high-tier leaders over, like, this new church that's developing. These were apostles. These are people who were disciples of Jesus. And uh, they all kind of get together. And long story short, we don't need to go into the details of it today, they all find consensus. They agree that, yes. This is not something we need to require of these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people, to come be part of the family of God. You're right, Paul, we're all in agreement, and they write it all down in a letter, make it as official as it could be. They give the letter to Paul and Barnabas and said, now go spread the good news about it. And so Paul and Barnabas, they head back to Antioch, which is where their home church was, and they let these Christians know, and everyone's excited about that, and uh, things are great, except for a twist, because, you know, in those previously on segments, there's always got to be a little bit of drama, a little bit of twist, right? Paul and Barnabas, even though they're on the same page about this, we find at the end of chapter 15 that they have a disagreement about, in particular, a guy named John Mark, who kind of flaked on a previous trip. And Barnabas wanted to give him a second chance, and Paul was like, no, I don't think that's a good idea. And it was such a point of contention that they went their separate ways. Um, we know that they reconciled later, so don't be too sad about that. But in this moment, Barnabas and John Mark head off one direction, and Paul teams up with a guy named Silas, and certainly there was more in the crew that did this as well, and they headed off in a different direction. So chapter 15 is a lot of stationary talk, the, the meetings, you know, they're figuring stuff out. As we go into chapter 16, everybody is on the move once again. And that's where we find Paul and Silas and the crew 
on the move in verse one of chapter 16. And what they're doing is they're going to all these churches that Paul and Barnabas visited and planted the first time around to encourage them and to show them this letter and to, to tell them, hey, like we all agree that we don't need to be putting these hurdles in front of the Gentile believers. And so Paul and Silas, they're heading out, and this is how we see their journey uh, unfold. Verse one, it says, Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra. These were two cities where Paul and Barnabas had planted churches. Lystra, uh, you might remember a few weeks ago, Matt talked about this. It was the city where they were mistaken for the Greek god Zeus and Hermes. Um, And a lot of believers uh, came to know Jesus in that city, and it was a, a thriving church there. Scripture tells us where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. This is the first time that we get introduced to Timothy. His name pops up a lot throughout the rest of the New Testament. And so what do we need to know about him for today? Uh, We know that he was a believer, and this was in large part to his grandmother and his mother. Their names were Lois and Eunice. And uh, those women had been among Paul's first converts from the Jewish community in Lystra. And we find all this out in 2 Timothy, the letter of 2 Timothy. Uh, So it seems that Timothy gave his life to Jesus somewhere between these two visits. Paul Paul and Barnabas came the first time. These women gave their lives to Jesus. By the time Paul rolls back in all that time later, uh, Timothy had given his life to Jesus. These two women, they were both like total rock stars of the faith. Paul like constantly elevates them. He even tells Timothy, he hopes that Timothy's faith faith can one day like catch up to the faith of his mother and grandmother. We know that he was half Jewish and half Gentile. His mom is recorded as a believer, but his dad, most people agree, was probably not a believer. Verse two tells us that the believers thought and spoke well of him, which tells us that he was living a honest, faithful life serving Jesus. They saw like his commitment to Jesus. They saw some of the talent that, that lived within him. And when Paul rolls into town, he also notices him. And this begins what will eventually become just an incredible relationship that grows out of this. Uh, we, we find out Paul uh, or Timothy becomes one of Paul's closest co-laborers, like workers alongside, and one of Paul's closest friends. Paul taught him and he mentored him. Timothy was there during when some of the letters that Paul wrote were written that we, we have in the New Testament. We see that he was with Paul a ton, doing ministry alongside Paul, but also trusted enough that Paul would send him off kind of as a proxy of himself to kind of speak on behalf of Paul and even the, even the church in general, going to strengthen and encourage churches. And he even ended up pastoring one in Ephesus eventually. So this is a really, really important relationship in the life of Paul. And and we're going to see that as we continue to walk throughout the book of Acts. And so Paul rolls in here, he sees this guy, Timothy, he's impressed and he has this sense, this is a guy that that needs to come along with us. And that's what he decides to do in verse three. It says, Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, can we just hold on a second? When we run into things in scripture that don't make sense or or culturally just aren't like what we deal with day to day, it can be so easy for us to just run past them and get to something that feels a little more applicable, right? But can we just pause here for a second? Isn't this exactly what the entire last chapter was all about? Paul rolls into town and he says, because Jews know you, I think it's best for you to get circumcised so that we don't cause any problems for them. I'll be honest, this super bothers me. I, 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 you know, sometimes we read scripture and we read it like we have to be like, yeah, I agree with everything. And yeah, it makes, there's no tension here. There's no struggle here. That's not honest. Let's be real. We run into scripture all the time where we're like, that bugs me. I don't understand it. Maybe I will, maybe I won't, but I need to be honest enough to say that bothers me. And this bothers me because Paul has spent pretty much the entirety of his ministry leading up to this point, arguing the exact opposite of what he just did with Timothy. And we know Paul is 100% correct about this issue of circumcision, right? 
he's absolutely correct that this is not something that needs to be put on the shoulders, a burden that needs to be put on the shoulders of these Gentile Christians. So why in the world would he make Timothy do this? If I was Paul, in my very flawed and very human version of wisdom, I would have all kinds of reasons why I would not be quick to take this approach. One of them being uh, like, I don't know, that could be confusing for people. I'm kind of the guy who said you don't need to get circumcised that kind of built my entire platform off of this. And now I'm just totally turning that up on its head. That might be really confusing people. And then what if they get more confused? Like what if they start to think that some things are allowable that God's word clearly says they shouldn't? What if they start to prohibit things that God says that there's a ton of freedom in all based around some confusion in what I'm doing right now? Like this feels an awful lot like compromise and, and even that term that we all like to use but we hate it when people use it against us, it really seems like a slippery slope, you know? What else might happen if, if we kind of compromise in this area? I won't lie, if I was Paul, I, my pride would probably play a role in this as well. To be like, no, 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 no. You are wrong, I'm right, so you need to deal with it. I would be so quick to do that, I'll be really honest. To be like, listen, this is not something that God told his, these, these new Gentile converts to do. We all agreed on it, so I'm not gonna cater to your immaturity. You just need to deal with it, I'm in the right. All those thoughts would be going through my head if I was Paul. But we see him do what seems like a total compromise to me. And I don't know if you're wrestling with it, but maybe to you. But there seems to be one big reason, one big motivation for Paul that just might make sense. And I think it's really telling to me, I think it could be really telling to all of us. Paul's intense distaste for this whole conversation in the past and in the future, all centers around a conflict with what he calls false brothers, other people who had professed relationship with Jesus, trying to put these hurdles in front of the Gentiles who were also trying to follow Jesus. When Paul talks about the Jews in this passage of scripture, almost everyone agrees that he's not talking about people who are followers of Jesus, but in fact, Jewish people who have yet to come to understand the saving power of Jesus. So there's this big distinction in his motivation. Paul and Timothy, I mean, I'm sure Timothy was on board with this. Paul didn't force him to do anything, I don't think, but he's on board with this. They cared more about the mission of Jesus and people coming to know Jesus than they did about the ground that they had already gained through blood, sweat, and tears, fighting every step of the way. That is a big move on their part. Instead of weaponizing this new freedom that they had fought hard to win, they almost immediately were willing to lay it down if it meant that more people would come to know Jesus and be transformed by Jesus. That takes courage. I mean, how easy would it have been for like the Gentile activist, Paul the Apostle, to just like double down on this like pet project of his, which by the way, again, I just wanna reiterate, is unequivocally correct. He is absolutely correct in this and right. But instead, what do we see him do? We see him hold loosely what he had gained so that other people could know Jesus. That takes a ton of courage. I think, I think it can be very easy for us sometimes to hold really tightly to what we feel like we have gained, so much so that we are not very concerned about the person who exists outside of these walls and in our communities or schools or job or whatever who don't know Jesus. We'd rather hold tightly to what we've got rather than hold it loosely enough so that other people can come to know him. That's what we see Paul do. We see him hold something that was very, very important to him. Very important to him. We see him hold it loosely enough because at the end of the day, what he wants is more and more people to come to know and be changed by Jesus. But that's only half the equation. And as we get a full picture, it's even more powerful, I believe. In verse four, after 
Paul enlists Timothy after they circumcise him and after they get ready to go. In verse four, it tells us like what, where they went from Lystra. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. That's also just quite a wild trip. You're like, this is Timothy. I made him get circumcised, but I'd also like to show you this letter that says that you don't have to. Confused yet? <laughs> but they went from place to place to strengthen, and, and it did. Scripture tells us they were strengthened in their faith and they grew daily in their numbers. Paul and his companions, verse six, traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept, this is interesting, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Okay, so what is happening here? I mean, first thing, I know every person in the room, the first thing we do when we see a list of unusual sounding names and places, our first instinct is to, a, to do a deep geographical like study on it, right? That's, that's what we all jump to, right? Not me. <laughs> when, I, when I run into a list of words like this, and locations like this, I will be completely transparent with you. My first instinct is to just jump to the other side of it because I don't know what that means. But that's not the best way to handle the Bible. And these physical locations actually do have a lot of bearing, I think, on what comes next, what we're going to read next. And the first thing we just need to understand, and there's zero judgment in this because I believe this for so much longer than I care to admit to you. When scripture talks about the province of Asia, it's talking about modern day Turkey. It's not talking about what we might conceive of as Asia today in 2023. Paul was not trying to go to like China or somewhere like that. Um, I oftentimes would have it in my head that Paul had, was like at this crossroads, right? Where he could either go into the unknown to the West or he could go in the total opposite direction, unknown into the East. And the spirit was like guiding him which direction to go. That's actually not really what was going on here. The province of Asia was a Roman province and it was the next stop as they continued to head West toward the Aegean Sea. And if I was more on top of it, you know, I'd have like a map up here for you to look at. But what, what you would see, you, you have the internet, you can go look it up. What, what we see is, is where they started at Antioch and they just slowly are marching their way west toward the Aegean Sea. They're going through these different regions. And what scripture tells us is the spirit would not let them preach the gospel in the province of Asia. He and his crew were logically, methodically moving west and it made all the sense in the world that he would tackle the province of Asia next for the gospel. But the Holy Spirit said no. So they said, okay, it's all right. We have a backup plan. Let's head to the next most logical place, and that's north to Bithynia. But again, the spirit of Jesus says no. The Holy Spirit essentially corrals them to a coastal city called Troas, which is right on the coast of the Aegean Sea, and they were in tune enough to hear his voice and obedient enough to do what he said and not to do what he said not to do, and this is where it landed them. We find out in verse eight. They kind of get corralled over to the city, and this is what happens. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Macedonia would be in Europe. It's like right across the Aegean Sea, okay? Verse 10 says, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready, to, we, we got ready at once to leave from Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. That's a really interesting series of events, right? And what I find really interesting about it is just like Paul held loosely all the things that he had gained, we're starting to get a picture that he holds pretty loosely all that he had planned moving forward as well. Paul's not dumb. He was not like a, let's just go wherever kind of guy. He was smart. He was planned. He was strategic. But what we see here is more importantly than that, he went where the spirit told him to go. Paul is a human being. He had free will. He could have made a lot of choices in this moment, right? He could have full-on ignored in secret this vision or the spirits like blocking of them going to these different places. Totally could have chalked it up to be like, man, I must have ate something weird last night and I had this weird dream, but it probably doesn't mean anything. No big deal. 
I have a better plan. We're just going to keep going on my plan. He could have straight out disobeyed the leading of the spirit. He could have disobeyed what God was revealing to him in this vision and said, listen, God, I know that you seem to be building towards something, but it's not really in my set of plans. And I actually think that what I'm gonna do is gonna have greater success or bear more fruit or however you wanna say it. I think this might actually be a better way forward. So thanks for your input, but we're gonna be doing what I plan to do. He could have done that. And I bet all those people would have followed him too if he had said that. He could have done what God asked him to do, but really delayed in it. Been like, listen, man, I don't know if he talked to God like that, but he's like, listen, we, we're already here. Like we've been in the province of Asia and I know that God's not really letting us preach the gospel here, but like, we're already here. Like I will get to Macedonia eventually, but I'm just gonna take my time getting over here. These are all things in his human being free will he could have done, but what do we see him do instead? Be obedient when the spirit messed up his plans big time and then immediately responded to the supernatural call to go across an ocean to share the gospel with a group of people who are really, really ready to hear it, we're gonna find out in the next verses that we read next week. And so you might be saying, okay, great, good for Paul, interesting, glad he listened to the Spirit, but what's the point? Like, what's the point for us here in 2023, in Modesto, California. I mean, I believe scripture really does speak through through time right to where we're at right now. I don't think any of it is just meant for a specific time. I think God always has something that he wants to share with us. And here's what I think God has been drawing me to as I've been praying and meditating, considering this passage of scripture. This is an excellent picture to me of something that we can emulate and we can follow suit in as well. Paul if you're a writing down kind of person, I don't have it on the screen, but this might be the thing to write down. Here's what we see in Paul's life. He held loosely to the ground that he had already gained and to the ground he had yet to tread. Put it a different way, he held loosely what, to, what had been accomplished in the past and held loosely what he planned to accomplish in the future. He held loosely this victory that he had won for the Gentile people, which he really, really deeply cared about if it meant more people would come to know Jesus. He held loosely his plan and strategy for what was to come so that when the Holy Spirit said, nope, we got something else that we gotta do, he was quick and ready and willing to obey him. I think this is a lesson that many of us today can learn from, or at the very least we need to wrestle with. I say this all the time, but it just rings truer and truer every single time I say it. We are a people who love to live in the extremes. It's just easier. There's always somebody on either side. We just tend to swing to the extremes. And for some of us, it can be a real temptation to hold tightly in the extreme to what has already been accomplished even really, really inarguably good things, but we hold them so tightly that if it came down to holding on to what has already happened and being willing to lay it down for someone new, that one that's apart and lost from the 99 can come into the family of God, we would never say this, but we might actually choose our pet issue instead. I'm not talking about sin issues. I'm talking about all the other stuff, even inarguably good stuff. Some of us, that temptation exists to hold too tightly to what we have already accomplished. And there are people who need to know Jesus that we're not paying attention to. And actually we're putting hurdles in front of. For some of us, maybe that's not you. It's the other extreme. That's where I find myself. Some of us find it really easy to hold too tightly to the plan or the strategy that will methodically yield results in our life or in our family or job or even in our church or even in the mission of God, like we have something to offer to that. And when we make a plan, there's not much that could deter us from that plan. We're already in it. We're already headed direction. We've invested time. We've invested capital. We've invested resources into it. We are completing this plan. It's practical. It's logical. And once we're on it, there is no turning back. Some of us hold too tightly to the plan. So much so that when the spirit comes in and says, I need you to do something different, 
We can barely hear him say that, let alone be willing to do what he says. I think what we get to see here through this series of events that you could look at and just be like, okay, that's some historical information about how they got from here to here. But I think what we can look at here is we see examples of some faithful followers of Jesus in Acts 16 who have a willingness to hold loosely what ground has been gained and also hold loosely what is to come. And what becomes clear is that the one thing that Paul is holding tightly to is Jesus. That's it. The one thing. He cares about all this other stuff, but the thing he holds the most tightly to is Jesus. Jesus made known to those who don't know him, and Jesus as the director of this mission and the fulfillment of this mission that God has called him to. And I think that that is an example that we can follow, whether it's as individuals, employees, parents, family members, and as a church family. Now, I understand like that feels like a little bit abstract and there's a lot of interpretation that would go into it. And so I just, I kind of want to share like an, an example that's been helpful for me of kind of what it is we're talking about here. I just got back with a team of students from Honduras not very long ago. I've been there a couple other times, um, but something new this year when we went to Honduras, this wasn't the plan. It wasn't something I signed up for, but I was forced into an opportunity to be a driver for uh, our trip to Honduras. So I wasn't planning on that, but it was something that was necessary, and so it's something that I did. So we had two vehicles. One was driven by Alvin, total rock star of a, <coughs> excuse me, total rock star of a guy. Um, and he was driving his truck, and then I was in another truck behind him, and that's where our team, they're split up in, in between those two vehicles. And we drove a lot during that trip. We went to a lot of different neighborhoods, went to a lot of different ministries, running around back and forth. And now, obviously, if you haven't put it together, driving in a Central American country, a little different than driving here. Um, pretty aggressive driving. Uh, the roads are pretty rough once you leave the pavement. Tegucigalpa, the city, is kind of in this big bowl. The bottom is all kind of paved, and it's pretty city-ish, and it's, there's a lot of traffic there. But as soon as you go off into the mountainsides, it's like pretty rough dirt roads, and they're pretty, pretty steep. And that's where a lot of the ministry was that we did. And throughout the course of the week, it became really clear that as I was driving, I just had like one job. My one job was stay close to the back of Alvin's truck. That was my single purpose in driving, was to stay as close as I could to the back of Alvin's truck because I didn't know where we were going. I didn't have a phone, didn't have a GPS. So him right here was where I needed to be, right? Good news is he made that kind of easy for me. There's no such thing as smog restrictions in Honduras. So his truck was just constantly spitting out a massive plume of black smoke, like everywhere we went, which was great. If I lost sight of him, I'm like, where's that black? Oh, there he is. Okay, we're, we're, we're good. But my whole deal was just to try to stay as close as I could to him. And the students, they gave me such a hard time about it. You should feel bad for me. They were so mean to me during this trip. Because it was a big truck, it had a big front end, it was a little bit of an older truck, and it didn't have all the, you know, the, the buttons that like really can get you like in the perfect spot. So like I straight up needed a phone book. I was like really low in the seat, and I had, had my hands on the steering wheel, and I looked like an 80-year-old woman like driving it. I'm like, just trying, trying to stay as close as I can without running into the back of Alvin's truck. And they're all in the back of Alvin's truck with their phones out, taking pictures of me and airdropping it to me like jerks. But... That was like my whole week was doing that. Not once, and, and we did some pretty technical driving. We went up some pretty steep hills. We navigated some pretty rough roads that were a little technical. I was very unconcerned that week, looking backwards, saying, look what I've accomplished. Look at that crazy road that I drove up because I needed to stay close to Alvin. There was no time to hold tightly to what I had accomplished just behind me. I also couldn't hold very tightly to where we were going or how we're gonna get there because I had no idea. We went to the same location four times and we, I can't, not one time was it the same route. It was like some other way different way and he knew what was going on and I didn't. So what was I left to do? Just stay as close as I could to him. I'm pretty sure I knocked off like two years of my life, like sucking back all that, all that exhaust coming out of the back of his truck. 
but I was happy to do it. Why? Because I needed to stay close to him. There's no time to look back. There was no time to get preoccupied with what was in front of me. I just needed to stay close to him because if I didn't, I was gonna miss where he was going and I needed to stay close to him. The one time that I started to feel confident, the one time I started to think, I know where we're going, I let a little distance come between me and Alvin's truck and guess what happened? It was the one time that I completely lost him. He took a turn off and I went straight because I thought I knew what I was doing and I missed where he was going. Now, gratefully, I just pulled over to a gas station and he swung back around and came and got me, which is great. God does the same thing to us when we kind of miss where he's going. He circles back around and picks us up and says, okay, let's keep going here. But to me, that's just been such a clear picture of not being so concerned what we've accomplished or where we've come from, even though it's good, and also not getting so hung up on like necessarily where we're going, even though it's okay to know, but instead focusing right here, right now on being as close on Jesus' bumper as we can be. I think that that is what he wants from his church right now. Is is plan, sure. Celebrate what has happened, sure but get as close as we can to where he's taking us right now. Otherwise, we're gonna miss what he's doing. I don't wanna like spoil it. I get to preach next week as well. Um, And what we're gonna find in the verses coming next week is the spirit does some ridiculous stuff in the next verses that we're we're gonna read. Like stuff like casting out evil spirits and prisons coming, crumbling to the ground and, uh, all these opportunities for people to come to know Jesus. Like the spirit does a lot of really cool things, but I don't think it's disconnected from the obedience that we see right here. And in fact, the holding loosely of what has come and where we're going. In fact, I would might go so far as to argue, I'm not sure it would have happened if we hadn't seen the obedience that we see here. If Paul hadn't listened to the spirit, he might not have been where he needed to be so that he could see what God wanted him to see. God still would accomplish his purposes. I'm sure of that, but I'm not sure he would have gotten to be a part of it. And I feel like we might find ourselves in a similar boat right now. And I just want to speak like, this is not from like an authoritative place or like a church policy place or anything like that. I just want to tell you what I've seen for a second, because I think it's too important to miss. God is stirring, it's the best way I can think of to describe it. He's stirring something up in his bride, in his church right now in the world. I have seen examples of it with my own two eyes. I see it in your kids, in your grandkids, a ton. They're dumb, I love them. They're dumb teenagers and they're really immature, but I have never seen desire like this for Jesus ever before ever before. I have never seen a willingness for them to do costly things because Jesus is worth it, like ever before. Maybe you have, and that's awesome, and we celebrate that. I have never seen anything like this before. God is stirring something up in those people. I have seen examples of it with my own two eyes in some of the places that I've gotten to visit over the last few years. In the cement box in the middle of the Amazon jungle in Peru, these people where they're having legitimately this little revival in this community. People being baptized and people confessing sin and people people joining the church and people being encouraged by the word of God and the people who have been there and it's stuff that they've never seen happen in those areas before. I've seen it with my own two eyes in these church buildings in Honduras just like a month ago. These, these, these moments where like the spirit was so tangible in the middle of some of the most violent, gang-infested, gang-controlled neighborhoods in the entire country, yet Jesus is significantly at work in those people and through those people. We've heard accounts of the spirit stirring something up in places like Kentucky, the whole Asbury thing. We've heard accounts of like Southern California where there's like thousands of people that came out to confess their sin and be baptized into the family of God. We've heard firsthand accounts of how God is moving kind of underground in places in the Middle East. And I know for some of those, it's easy for our cynicism to poke its head, be like, yeah, but I've never seen that. I get it. I run like that too. 
but I've also seen stuff with my own two eyes about what God is doing, and I wanna be a part of it. And we've even seen some of what he's doing in our church, but I think if we're gonna be a part of it, some of us need to loosen our grip on all that we have accomplished, and some of us need to loosen our grip on all that we have planned and just stay as close as we can to where he's leading us, taking the rights and lefts wherever he leads. And if we're willing to do that, I think scripture proves it to us, we will get to see him manifest himself in some pretty incredible ways. And we also get to be a part of that. And you could sit there and you could listen to me talk about it, or we could have some people who have actually had firsthand experience seeing the things that God is doing here in this country and in other places around the world. And I can't think of a better case study for us to really wrestle with this idea of holding these things loosely so that God can move in powerful ways than to just let some people from the actual church come up and share about how God has made that apparent in their lives through their recent experiences. And so I'm gonna invite these, this crew of people up. We have six people that went out on a handful of trips over the last few months uh, to a number of different places, and I'll let them kind of share where they went and what they did. But we thought it would be really, really beneficial just to, to testify, to have testimony of how God is moving um, in this country and in places all over the world. So go ahead, guys, grab your stool, come on up here. Would you welcome up this crew of people that are gonna come and share with us, all right? One of you can grab that microphone as well. Awesome. So like I said, each of these people are from uh, a different team that went out, some adults, some students. Um, they went and they did a variety of different activities uh, or, or work, however you wanna say it. Um, and they also all had a variety of, of impact that God made on them. And so how we kinda wanna run this is we wanna give each of these people an opportunity to share a little bit about who they partnered with. We know the real heroes are the people who are doing these things day in and day out, and oftentimes short-term trips, we just get to partner and we get to encourage and come alongside, and very often we are changed by the experience that we, that we have as well. And so we're gonna let them share a little bit about what the ministry looks like, and uh, also share a little bit about what God highlighted for them, uh, what God really nailed home for them as uh, they served him in those different kinds of contexts. So we'll start here with Phil. He'll let you know uh, what he did and what God um, highlighted for him during the trip. All right, uh, I went to uh, the country of Slovakia as part of a mission trip organized by Spiritual Orphans Network, which was founded back in 1991 to uh, send missionaries, uh, long-term missionaries, as well as short-term missionaries to former communist countries. This is my 13th trip uh, over there, um, and I was co-leader along with my sister. Basically what we did is we did English language Bible camps. So imagine like a vacation Bible school like we'd have here, except uh, using translators also. We are teaching the story of Joseph and his brothers to the kids and bringing in the story of salvation to that as well. And we had craft sessions as well and sports sessions, music sessions, as well as conversational English lessons too. And I was over there for a couple of weeks. Awesome. And you just got back not very long ago, right? Yeah, last Monday night at midnight. All right, all right. So if he starts to fall asleep, you can like yell at him to, to wake back up. Yeah. I'm sure he's still working through the jet lag there. Um, so you got to do uh, a lot of work. And last, last service, we mentioned this as well. It's, the organization is called Spiritual Orphans? Spiritual Orphans Network. It's called that because um, there are lots of places in the world where, for one reason or another, in Eastern and Central Europe, because of communism, there are certain generations that just didn't learn the gospel. And so they couldn't pass it on to their kids. So while their kids might not be orphans, they are, in a sense, spiritual orphans because they didn't have that education. Awesome. And I love how that's like the... The focal point um, is is like that spiritual input alongside the encouragement and then the, the meeting the needs and stuff like that. Um, so, Phil, you have done this trip quite a few times, correct? 13 years, you said, last service? Yeah, 13 years. I think that was my 22nd Bible camp I did over wow, there. Wow, yeah. wow. So, you've done this a lot of times, but we also know that pretty much every time we go and are, we're willing to give of ourselves and we serve uh, and partner with people who are doing awesome work, 
God uses those opportunities to really change us, impact us. So would you just share with our church family uh, kind of what the big impact was in your life as a result of getting to serve uh, in this way over that time? Yeah, so I was thinking about this, and I'd say it was the the importance of sacrifice, because anyone who's ever done a short-term mission trip or long-term mission trip, you know you have to sacrifice certain things. If nothing else, you're sacrificing your time, your energy, your money, uh, maybe sacrificing relationships back home, sacrificing giving things up to God and just trusting that God's going to make it work. Uh, I've had to do that every year, just like any missionary has had to. Some years were tougher than others. In 2010, for example, um, my mom had been diagnosed with cancer for some years, and we found out just a few years before my, or sorry, a few days before my sister and I went on the mission trip that she was going to pass in the next few days. We didn't know what to do. Uh, She insisted that we go because she herself was the child of missionary parents. And our first day in country found out that she had passed. And that was before the Bible camp even started. Other years it's been things like uh, career opportunities. When I was looking for a job as a teacher my first year, um, I didn't have any teaching jobs I could interview for because I was gone on the mission trip. And then this year, it was my first experience being gone on a mission trip without my, uh, without my spouse, without my wife. We had just got married in 2022. She went with me last year on the mission trip, but uh, we found out she was pregnant the day that we left for the mission trip last year. So that meant that this year we had a five-month-old baby that I also was having to leave behind. So that was a challenge, um, sacrificing that for a couple of weeks while I had to go, uh, well, not had to, but I got to go lead the team and lead these camps also. But what God showed me was that when it's a sacrifice to do his will, he's going to make things work out. Um, we just need to listen to that will. And like you were saying, uh, hold things loosely and trust. Yeah. Reality is anytime we serve, anytime we do what Jesus asked us to do, there is cost. There always is. Um, we like to pretend like he didn't say that, but he did, like really straightforwardly. <laughs> um, but what he also promises us is that the, the reward is completely worth it. Um, being a part of what he's doing in the world is absolutely worth it. And it's really a privilege, absolutely. But um, it, shows, it, it shows us just how worthwhile serving him is when it's set against the backdrop of, of the cost. And so I'm really grateful that God was able to kind of uh, show that to you as you walk through that process. And you said last service uh, that the baby's having some trouble sleeping while you're gone, but now he's good. Hallelujah. All right, yeah, so excellent. I don't know if my wife thinks that's the best timing, God, but uh, for me, the timing worked out beautifully. He's, he wanted a sleep <laughs> regression the day after excellent. I left, and he was doing great as soon as I came back. Fantastic. Hallelujah, yeah. right? All right, uh, Kendall is a graduated senior, and she went on our global trip that we run through the student ministry uh, here at Cross Point. And so I'll let her kind of give you some insight of where we went, what we did, and uh, how God kind of used that to impact her. Yeah, so I was a part of the Honduras team, and we did a number of different things, um, but the name, uh, the few main things that we did were, we did a lot of kids ministry, um, kind of just loving on on the kids. Um, they don't always receive love, and so we kind of just are loving on them and playing with them. Uh, we also um, act out um, stories from the Bible and just sing songs. Um, we kind of do the um, same kind of thing. Um, just with older people at like church services. Um, Alvin, um, who is leading us, um, kind of is in charge of one church. There's like four different locations. So we got to go to all of those and kind of worship alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ, which is super cool. Um, we also did a lot of street ministry, um, handing out food, just praying for people and getting to know people. Um, we also got a chance um, at the end of the trip to um, start building house. And um, some people also went into people's homes and prayed for people. Um, That was kind of the most of the things that we did. Awesome, and prayer became like a huge, huge, uh, I guess like pattern throughout the course of the week. Um, And God really highlighted a lot of things for a lot of us through that time of prayer and just being willing to step out and to pray for people. I know that was a big part of like what God really nailed home for you. And so I'd love for you to share that with the church. Yeah, so kind of before this trip, I had kind of had this certain mindset on prayer. I honestly didn't pray that much on my own. Um, It kind of just felt as if I was praying empty prayers, prayers that wouldn't really do anything or have any effect. Um, But throughout this trip, God um, definitely um, was consistently changing this mindset that I had. Um, 
I, I feel like he really put me out of my comfort zone um, with praying, especially at the end of the trip. Um, I was in a small group um, going into people's homes and praying for people. And going into this, I had like no expectations for the whole trip. Honestly, I didn't really have any expectations, didn't really know what to expect. Um, so the second house that we went into, we um, encountered this woman who had a lot of pain in her back. Um, so we got the chance to pray for her and we kind of just put our hands on her and all prayed our own separate prayers out loud. And the translator ended up coming um, over and started praying over her um, in Spanish. And she kind of started crying and shaking um, and said that the pain had been completely gone. Um, and after that, I kind of, I had no idea what to think. I was kind of overwhelmed with the idea because I didn't expect that to happen. Um, and so, that same day, we saw multiple other people being healed. Um, and even the second day, we prayed for people's homes again. And um, there's this man who couldn't see out of, his, of one of his eyes. And so we prayed and nothing happened. And so we prayed over and over again until um, he was able to see lights and shadows. He wasn't able to see fully, but um, I think even then God was kind of showing me like, God always answers prayers. Um, he does it in different ways and in different times and even sometimes um, when praying for healing too specifically, like it's not in his plan to heal right away. Um, he just, God was really showing me like the different ways that he answers prayers. And even um, for a really long time, I've been praying for answers for my future and haven't gotten any answers and still haven't. And so um, he's also been showing me that he allows us to make decisions on our own too sometimes. And so, um, God definitely changed my perspective on um, prayer a lot throughout this trip. I mean, of all the things that we could spend our time and energy doing, um, taking that time to pray, to pray boldly, to pray about big things, to pray about little things, and that is absolutely worth our time, whether we're in a different country or whether we're right here on a Sunday morning or whether we're out there throughout the week. Um, I know that that power of prayer was like a huge, huge theme throughout the course of that whole week and that entire team. And uh, it's something to pay attention to, to notice how these passionate followers of Jesus passionately pray. And I know there's a lot of people who are part of this family who are also passionate about prayer. And uh, it, it, I know for me, I know I'm not really sharing from the teams, but for me, it was really, really challenging and, and strengthened my faith to see uh, their passion for prayer and encouraged me to do the same. So thanks so much for sharing that, Kendall. Luke is a middle schooler. He went on our middle school trip. We call it our urban trip. It heads to San Francisco. And so you can uh, share a little bit about the ministry we partnered with there and what they do, and then uh, what God kind of highlighted for you during the time. So uh, the middle school or urban trip, we went to San Francisco and partnered with City Impact, who works in the Tenderloin. They actually have a really big presence there, and like they're known around. Um, so we helped with uh, different like meal and food deliveries, different like long-term hotels and uh, like apartment buildings that, well, they do that every day. So then they help a lot of different people. We played at parks with some of like the children that they ha that, are, that live in the Tenderloin uh, just for like a place for them to go. And it was really cool to play with all of them. And then um, we did like some street outreach one day or a few days where we just like went around like giving out little cereal boxes and like talking to different people and just asking them like about their day and other things. And we helped prepare for like a big block party that they had on the Friday we were there. Uh, they have that I think every year and it's just like this nice way to like reach everybody there and it's just a fun, it was a fun event because they had a bunch of different things and games and giveaways. Uh, so it was, that was a lot of fun. We didn't really get to see that. We were packaging meals, but we were inside, uh, but we could see some of it. And then, um, like what God highlighted to me was like getting to know the people around, like around you, because we were one of five groups that were there. So there's like 144 of us. Uh, so while you were out serving, like you'd be with different people from like other groups and it was really interesting to get to know some of the other like pastors and some and like some volunteers that were like or some volunteers that were 
with City Impact. Um, it was just really interesting to get to know all of them and know their stories and like what they're doing. Yeah, I, one of the things that we constantly circle back around to on these short-term trips, for sure in, in the uh, student ministry world, but I guarantee across the board, is one of the biggest highlights is getting to rub shoulders with and share in ministry with other people who scripture literally counts as our brother and sisters because we both know Jesus. And even though they come from different cities or countries, they look different, speak different languages, have very different circumstances or backgrounds. We have more in common with them oftentimes than we have with the person who lives right next door to us. And that is a, a beautiful, beautiful picture of the big family of God. And it just widens our perspective on <clears throat> what he's doing and how we can be a part of it. So I'm really grateful that that was, that was a takeaway for you. I also just wanna real quickly plug City Impact. Um, I was super, I only got to go for part of the trip. I was super impressed with how Jesus-centric that place was. I was honestly really surprised. I figured it's San Francisco. These people probably love Jesus, but they gotta probably fly under the radar. It's like, we do a bunch of good things and it's because of Jesus, but let's not let them know, you know? Uh, they were very upfront that the whole reason we do this is because Jesus is worth it and he wants a relationship with you. And they've earned the trust of that entire neighborhood, the Tenderloin, to be able to be that upfront about it. And uh, they, they house little teams, big teams, adult teams, kid teams. There's some kids there while we were there that were like six, seven, eight years old out doing ministry. It was a very, very cool spot. So if you're ever just interested in like even just taking a day and go serving, I know that they organize that kind of stuff. We'd be happy to help make it happen for you. It was a very, very cool spot to land. Thanks so much for sharing, man. Rylan, he went on our Mexico trip, which is for our ninth and 10th grade students. And he can share a little bit about what they did and what God uh, nailed home for him. Yeah, so we went to Mexico um, in Tijuana and we mainly went to like the outskirts of Tijuana and we helped out at churches and orphanages and just basically anywhere we could. Um, one place that we went to was a, a church called, uh, named Bethel and it was a church that, um, it was in the red zone district so it was like um, a dangerous area there's a lot of prostitutes and um, like gentlemen clubs and there the church Bethel. It was like a tall, skinny building um, right in between two gentlemen clubs. So and it was, it's been around for 80 years. Um, so it's pretty cool to see that it's still like running and going because um, they've been asked to um, like turn it into something else or tear it down, but they keep saying no, which I find really cool. Um, so yeah, we just try to help out wherever we can. Awesome. And there's all kinds of opportunities for them. And, I, and this will come as no surprise to anybody. Christine and Lloyd Kaufman are running the trip. So she had their schedule very, very packed full of stuff. If you've ever met Christine, she has energy for days. So she had all kinds of stuff planned for them. Lots to pick from. But what would, what would be the thing that, that you felt like God used to impact you the most throughout the trip? So there was um, a place I went to. It was Candelaria's and... I was, so I was going to share what God's been like putting on my heart. And, um, so I didn't really know what to say, but I knew I was going to talk about hope. And so, um, my grandfather was put to my mind and he had um, a heart condition and, um, he had to have an open heart surgery and it was a scary time for my family. Um, and we didn't, uh, he could have died. Uh, so we just had to trust God and put our faith in God that he was going to help my grandfather. And he did. My grandfather is healthy now. And it's pretty cool. And then so um, after we, like, we were about to leave and we were praying for people, like the kids. And I saw Allison talking to a little girl and the little girl was crying. And then um, Allison was talking about me. So then after Allison was done talking to her, I asked Allison, like, what she was talking about. And then she said that the little girl, her baby cousin, um, has, or she's like sick and they don't know if she's going to make it. So um, it's nice knowing that my stories and like my experiences have an effect on other people, even when I don't feel like it has, it would have an effect. And I just feel like since that was the day that I shared to people and that little girl, her baby cousin has, is in a similar situation um, that my story can affect her. And it was just like, the perfect situation for me to talk. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic that as much planning as we put into things, 
that's a, as a really good reminder that the Holy Spirit is the one that like brings all that together. Um, you would have no idea that she was there. You probably couldn't have even have talked to her if you tried, right? She probably spoke a different language, very different situation in life. Um, but God knew that that story needed to be shared of hope and that that little girl needed to hear it. And he's the one that, that does that work. And so that when we're open and available um, and we have those opportunities just very regularly and experiences like you had, um, we see that God is the one who steps in and does the work, which is really cool to see. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, Danny and Kara are not teenagers, in case you were wondering. They did not go on a student ministry mission trip, but they did go on a trip recently, and they're going to share a little bit about where they went and um, what God did through that. So we went to Ghana, Africa with a, an organization called Every Child Ministries, and um, they are a, a, an organization that runs children's homes and schools in the countries of, of Congo and Uganda and Ghana, those are the, the places they are. Uh, if you are familiar with Compassion International, you might think of that in your head. So these are kids that are being sponsored to live in this little home. We actually sponsor a, a child. And um, interesting, the, the sermon today, I wasn't thinking about it ahead of time, but our, our story fits with that, the whole loosely bit, because we sponsor a kid in Uganda. Five years ago, I went to Uganda. And so this year I thought, cool, I'm gonna go to Uganda and uh, meet the kid and, and go on this trip. And, and ECM said, actually, we'd really rather you lead a team to Ghana. And I'm like, that, I don't know, Ghana. So that's how it started. Um, so we led a team of eight people to go to Ghana to lead a, a teachers for teachers training. So our, our intent was to train the teachers. The school has about 400 kids that attend, about 24 teachers. Um, the teacher training in, in Ghana, Africa is not superb, so we were there to, to help them with that. And also to work with the staff of the children's home, about 10 staff members that, that run the children's home there. So we were going to work with them on how to deal with children's dealing with trauma, uh, some, giving them some training in, in that. And um, when I got asked to go, I told Kara, well, I want her, her to go this time. She didn't go last time. And she thought through her head, I'm not a teacher. What in the world can I do on a teacher trip when I'm not a teacher, which is pretty cool. She'll share about that in a moment. Um, so that was mostly what we did. We were also going to do a little vacation Bible school while we were there and uh, work with a clinic. Um, and I'll let you share a little bit about what you did and how that worked. So some of you may remember when we shared when we were going that I didn't have a clear vision of what God wanted me to do on this trip as much. And I'm a planner, so that was hard for me. I, I knew I was helping with the medical clinic, but that was only two days of it. But I went, and um, when I got there, I felt God really saying clearly, build relationships with women and have intentional conversations. I'm like, cool, he's not asking me to do something really crazy. <laughs> uh, I can do that. So I, I did that, and I had conversations with lots of women between the teachers and what they call the mamas, which are like the dorm dorm moms, um, the kitchen staff that feed the kids, and one-on-one -on -one conversations. And many of them shared really deep um, hurts that they have or struggles that they have, crisis of faith that they're having. And I realize now what God had for me to do in this trip was to be a discipler and encourager for these women. So I saw... Um, they have faith already, but I saw deeper roots grow. They don't have women's ministries. They don't have Beth Moore books to go through that help them in that spiritual development, but just leading them back to what does God say about this struggle that you're having? You have the word. And so that's that was impactful for me, and I, I felt like it was for them too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, can I do that one? So two other things real quick. Um, Kara shared with me, she noticed that all these different women were asking her to pray and, and the conversation kind of came up, well, why don't you get together and pray with each other? And that's just not a concept that they have. So we're hoping maybe that seed has been planted and maybe a couple of them will understand, hey, we're all asking for prayer for that. Why don't we just do that every morning? That'd be pretty cool. Something you could pray for. Um, so our other little moment about holding things loosely um, we were going to do this little vacation Bible school. We were all set up. We had it planned out. Different people were going to do different parts. We were going to do the little, the little bead bracelets. There was a, a picture of those. 
So I'm preparing those, making little baggies for the kids. There's 32 kids, so I'm like making 32 little bead baggies to, for the bracelets. And we had a, a, some extra ones, and we were debating, and we're like, oh, let's just make the extra ones. Why not? We'll figure out something to do with them. And we were supposed to do our VBS on Saturday, and Saturday morning, it started raining like crazy rain, harder than I've experienced in a very long time. And all the roofs there are metal roofs. So if you're trying to do something in a structure with a metal roof in the hard rain, you can't hear anything. Kara tried to do that earlier in the week, and they were like yelling at the kids to try to get the point across. Um, so we were talking it over, and reluctantly, we're like, I guess we won't be able to do it today. We'll have to wait until tomorrow. This will be a bummer. It's not going to be near as good, not what we wanted, but we'll wait till tomorrow. So tomorrow happens, Sunday, after church. And because it was Sunday after church, lo and behold, there was a bunch of extra kids around, sticking around for our VBS. And so that's cool. We hadn't planned on that. And so then we're handing out little bead bracelets, and all of a sudden we're short because there's these extra kids. And I'm like, oh, no. And then I remembered, oh, wait, we made extras. So I run up there, and I grab the extras, and we're handing them out, and we're one short. And I'm thinking, we cannot be one short. And then I remember when I was putting them together, there was this one package that only had beads and it didn't have the little bracelet part, which was super annoying to me. And so I, I have that one and I'm looking around and in this box of other materials at the bottom, there's like this literally the bracelet part was in the box on the bottom. And I'm, so I put it together, handed it to the last kid and we took the sample from the one teacher and handed it to the, I mean, it's exactly the amount which is pretty cool. Um, so God helped us reach so many extra kids and provided exactly what we needed because we were a little flexible with our plans and went with his plans. Yeah, absolutely. And that is, I mean, regardless of what trip you went on, I guarantee every person up here would say, yeah. it didn't go exactly like we thought it would at any point during the week. But when we are willing to hold things loosely, but we stay close to Jesus... He knows what he's doing and he can be trusted and then we get to be a part of it. And so I so appreciate you guys being willing to share some of those things that were so impactful to you. And I hope that it can be like, like I said, like a case study, like an encouragement that strengthens our faith because all of us need to live with purpose, uh, regardless of where we are, in our job, in our families, uh, as we walk the street, whatever it is that we're doing, like the Holy Spirit has opportunities set up for us. And sometimes that's just on the fly, and sometimes that's kind of in structured environments. And so what we want to do to close the, the service today is uh, we want to take a, a moment to pray for a structured environment that's coming up in the life of a lot of people uh, in our church family, and that's school starting this week for most of Modesto and in coming weeks. Um, and for students and teachers, this is a new season of the calendar year where there is a ton of opportunity to be salt and light, to be an encouragement, and to showcase like who Jesus is and what he does in a person's life. I, I joke around with the students all the time that there, it, there will not be another opportunity in your life where you get to rub shoulders so frequently with such a large amount of people unless you end up in jail at some point in your life than when you're in middle and high school. Just, there's not another opportunity. And so there's a huge, huge um, impact that can be made, both from the students and from the teachers. And so we have students represented, we have teachers represented up here, and we know that there's more out there as well. And so what we want to do is if you're a student or a teacher that's going to be like starting up school here, we would love to just take a minute and pray for you. So we would ask that if you would just stand up here in a second and the rest of our church family can come around you, lay hands on you or whatever, um, so that we can be praying for boldness, for courage, for encouragement, because I know it can be discouraging for many. Um, to live out, hold loosely your plans, but live out the, the guidance of the Spirit. So go ahead, if you're a student or a teacher, you can stand up, and uh, we just want to pray over you in the coming school year as we close. Jesus, thank you so much for uh, just the incredible testimony of what you're doing um, a couple hours down the road, all the way to the other side of the world. And uh, Lord, we want to be a part of what it is that you're stirring up. Uh, that feels so vague to say, but Lord, uh, we know that the, that the way we get to be a part of it is just by keeping really, really close on your heels. And so, Lord, uh, we ask whether that's in a different country, in a different culture, or whether that's just going back to school like everyone has to do, uh, who's at that age or at that job, God, we just pray that um, you would make clear the opportunities, 
that exist for them to uh, be a clear example of who you are to people, to even be able to bring up in words when they're able to, like what you've done in their life. Um, Lord, and then when people look at them through their words and actions, they would see you. Lord, I pray for encouragement in a setting that can be oftentimes really discouraging. Lord, I pray that uh, there would be a passion for these teachers and students to walk through this season well, but mostly to walk through it as, as a clear picture of who you are. So Lord, we pray you would embolden them, strengthen their faith as they step into this. Um, and all of our faith, God, as we leave this place to go do the work that you have called us to do. Lord, we love you and we thank you in your awesome name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Thank you.